Hey, Harvest, good morning. Do me a favor, if you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Acts chapter 16. And uh, as I'm sure you've been able to put together right now, we are beginning our Christmas series as we kind of transition into the Christmas series. And I don't know about you, uh, but this year more than most, um, Christmas just feels good. It feels warm. And I've been kind of longing for the Christmas season in in a year that's been different and strange in so many ways. And um, as you know, if you've been around our church for much time, you know that like most Christmases, we do an Advent series. So we talk about the the words of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. And uh, if I could be honest with you, most winters or most Christmas seasons, when we come to these series, I get a little bit stressed out because I'm like, we've done these series before. We've talked about the same things. Like, how do I make the, the Advent series fresh? How do I make it relevant? Well, this year it hasn't been like that at all. And I think if there's four words that we as people and as a church really need to focus in on, if God could say anything to us right now, It's the words peace, hope, joy, and love. And uh, what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna set our hearts and minds around the Advent word, hope. And uh, before we jump into God's word, what I wanna do is I wanna kind of give a definition of the type of hope that I'm talking about because the type of hope that's mentioned in the Bible is very different than how we use the word hope today. So, so when I say the word hope, I wanna make sure we're thinking about the, the same thing and the right thing. And I think there's two different definitions for the word hope. The, the first definition is what I'll call common hope. And common hope is kind of how we think about the word hope in English and how we use it in everyday life. And here's the definition of common hope. If you Google hope, this is the definition that pops up. It's this. It's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So when I'm hoping in something, I expect something to happen. I want something to happen, but I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not. And I think a great example of this is kids with presents on Christmas. Like all of my kids every year, they tell me what they want for Christmas. And I know they're hoping for certain gifts and they think they might get a certain gift. And then what happens is as we wrap wrap gifts up and put them under the tree, I'll see them kind of scoping it out. Does that gift that, that's you know wrapped up and has my name on it, does it look like the gift that I'm hoping for? They want a gift, they're expecting a gift, but they don't know if they're getting that gift or not. They're hoping they get it. I think there's other things that we hope in. Maybe it says, man, I hope our family can all get together for Christmas. Or I hope when our family's all together that we'll actually get along this year when we spend time together. Maybe it's, man, I hope that uh, the year end bonus comes in and I hope that it's uh, enough and and I hope that 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 works for my family. Or I don't know if you feel like this, if you're me at all. Man, I'm really, really hoping that not too long from now, words like quarantine and isolation and coronavirus just won't be in our vocabulary anymore. I'm hoping for this season to end soon. But but the thing with common hope is we desire it, we want it to happen, but we can't be sure. And what you need to understand is the hope the Bible talks about. When we talk about hope for Advent, we're talking about a completely different animal. Here's the definition of Christian hope, the hope that the Bible talks about. It's this. Christian hope is the absolute certainty that God will remain faithful to his promises both in five minutes from now and in five centuries from now. 
So you see, the difference between common hope and Christian hope is that Christian hope is rooted in certainty. I'm not wondering. I'm not just expecting. I'm not, you know, I'm hoping something might happen. I am sure that God is going to be faithful to his promises. And my hope is anchored in strength because I know that what God says will come to pass. And what I want you to see is there is a power to Christian hope that we need to anchor our hearts to in this season. And what I want to do is I want to jump into Acts 16 and show you an example of a passage where Christian hope is displayed so beautifully. So again, if you have your Bibles open, look at Acts 16, starting at verse 25. And uh, just to give a little bit of background, Paul is on a missionary journey. He's with Silas, his friend, and, and they are going to plant churches. And they've gone to a city called Philippi. Later, Paul writes the book of Philippians to this church. And they are preaching the gospel. God is moving. People are getting saved. But there's a revolt against them in the city. And Paul and Silas are actually thrown in prison. And here's where the story picks up in verse 25. So follow along as I read. Here's what it says. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the light and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? By the way, isn't that a great line right there? Like, what must I do to be saved? Talk about someone who's ready to meet the Lord. It says, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And they took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. All right, so this is an incredible passage where there's a lot going on, but we're going to see three facets of Christian hope that I really want us to set our hearts and minds on this week. Here's the first. The first is this. My hope in the gospel frees me to love others genuinely. My hope in the gospel frees me to love others genuinely. And here's what blows my mind about this story. So Paul and Silas are in prison. There's a great earthquake all of the doors miraculously fling open and that their chains or their bonds are unfastened. So the earthquake happens and like everything opens up. And what blows my mind is they stayed in prison the rest of the night till the jailer came. Like if that was me in that situation and I was in prison and all of a sudden there was an earthquake and God was clearly setting me free by opening all the doors and then unfastening my chains, I would have been like, wow, God's clearly telling me to escape right now. I would have left. And by the time the jailer came down, I would probably be in a different town. But Paul and his friends didn't do that at all. They stayed and waited for the jailer to come. And what just blows my mind about this story is Paul and Silas's mindset. They weren't concerned with their safety. They weren't concerned with their well-being, but their mindset was how can we use what God is doing as an opportunity to show Jesus to this jailer and advance the kingdom of God? Their hope was in the gospel. It wasn't in their own well-being. 
And you guys know this famous passage, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And I just want you to think about this for a second, church. Imagine if Jesus had not come. And imagine if the only way that God could love us was if we made ourselves presentable to God. What if we had to earn God's love and affection by our own efforts? Like, imagine how selfish we would have to become. Like, if the only way that God could love me was if I was a good enough person and if I was doing enough, my mind would constantly be consumed with me and my effort and my performance. Am I a good enough person? Am I making God happy? Do I look good to others? And even when I loved other people, it would be for selfish motive. I'm loving you so that I can get in God's good graces or in his good favor. But you see, Paul, he knew that his hope was in the fact that Jesus had accomplished everything that he could ever need that his righteousness was accomplished by Jesus, that his salvation was accomplished by Jesus, that God loved him because of what Jesus did for him. So he didn't have to be concerned about himself at all, but he was free to use these circumstances to genuinely love the jailer, even though he wasn't getting anything out of it. Paul was free to love someone who needed Jesus because he knew that Jesus already loved him and he was trusting in the gospel and God's love for him to provide. The gospel says that you and I, we have access to God and we have everything we could ever need in Jesus Christ. So here's what that means. You and I are free, even this Christmas season, to live with the mentality, God, you love me. God, your love for me is secure. It's never changing. It's never going away. And our prayer should be, how can I love others and bless others today and tomorrow? How can I be available? How can I care? How can I be present with others and show them the love that you showed me? Because I don't have to earn anything. I don't have to worry about myself. You've given me absolutely everything in Jesus Christ. Paul and Silas, they were more concerned about the jailer's spiritual well-being than their physical well-being because their hope was firmly rooted in the gospel and it freed them to love others well. Here's the second thing we see in this text, which is amazing, is that my hope in God's sovereignty allows me to live with joy. Look at verse 25. It says, and at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And one of the things I think is so beautiful about this passage is even before God did the miracle, Paul and Silas were worshiping and joyful and praising God. While they were in chains, while they were in prison, they were worshiping and praising the Lord. Why? Because their hope wasn't in their circumstances. It was in the reality that God is in control. James 2, or James 1, sorry, 2 through 4 says this. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And this is something that Paul sincerely believed. He was like, okay, I'm following the Lord. I'm being faithful. And God in his control, in his sovereignty has caused me to be in prison. 
This is for his glory and my good. And rather than being overwhelmed by my circumstances, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have joy. I'm going to worship. I'm going to trust him. And my hope is going to be in God's sovereignty, not in my circumstance. And you see that playing out in how they worship in prison. They knew that God loved them and that God was in control. So they weren't going to allow their emotions to be affected by their circumstances. You know, it's interesting, this past Tuesday, um, I don't know if you swung by or not, but we were handing out those Advent devotionals and and people would pull up in their cars, we would give them the books and they would drive off. And as they were driving off, I was at the Spring Lake campus. You know, I would just say, hey, how are you doing? How can we pray for you? How's it going? And, And what was so encouraging to my heart on Tuesday was so many of you were like, you know what? This has been a hard year, but God is good and he's in control and he's moving and he's working. And it's like, man, that's a perspective that can only be found when our hope is in the fact that we know that God is in control and that he loves us. And as hard as this year has been, he's using it for his glory and our good. Colossians 3, two through three says this. It says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And church, I think if I could be honest with you, I think more than maybe any other year, 2020 has been a test of where am I setting my mind on? Am I setting my mind on things above or on things on earth? And the reality is, is when I focus on the circumstances and I focus on not being able to gather together as a church, and when I focus on how difficult everything has been this year, it's easy for me to spiral and to feel bad for myself or to despair or or to be frustrated. But when I set my mind on things that are above, when I put my hope in God's sovereignty and I can get myself to a place that says, listen, God's in control. That this pandemic did not happen outside of God's control. That, That he oversaw this, that he is sustaining us through it, that he is the one that's allowed this to happen that he is using even this year for his glory and our good and that he's going to be the one that gets us through this. When I can get my mind vertical and trust the Lord in this season, I can feel the joy flood back into my life. This was the joy that Paul and Silas had. My circumstances aren't great, but God is in control. He's placed us here and we're gonna trust him in the process. We can have joy because we are certain that God loves us and he is in absolute control. Then the third thing I want you to see from this text is that my hope in God's presence strengthens me in the storm. Paul and Silas, they'd found themselves in prison. Their future was very, very uncertain. They were in a storm, but yet they were strengthened. They were strong. Their their faith was not shaken because they knew that God was with them. Why were Paul and Silas worshiping in prison? Because the spirit of the Lord is there. The Bible makes it very clear where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am with them. The, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells our hearts. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of the gospel is that we get God. We have access to God all the time, every moment, no matter what you're going through, God is with you. So in a season when um, quarantine and isolation are words that have become very, very common, listen, you're never alone. You're never isolated from the presence of God and the spirit of God. Will the holidays probably look different for many of us? Yes. 
Are you in a season of great sorrow? Some of us are. Maybe that's you. Um, is this a year where there's been sickness and fear and death and unrest? Absolutely. But God promises that he is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit that in our valleys and in our fears that the Lord does not leave us, but he is leading us to green pastures and to still waters. He is our good shepherd. We are never alone. Um, I'm a big soccer fan and I follow European soccer and England is kind of the home or the birthplace of soccer. So in England, it's kind of the best league. It's the biggest league. The, the fans are the most crazy for soccer in England. And there's this famous team in England called Liverpool. And they have this really cool thing that happens that for years and years and years and years, every time the Liverpool soccer team walks out on the soccer field at their home stadium, all of the fans, 70, 80,000 people all stand at the same time and they sing the same song every game. And it's a song that was taken from a musical and the main line of the song they sing is you'll never walk alone. So, so as Liverpool, as the team walks out, there's this moment where thousands and thousands of people stand up together and they sing this song, You'll Never Walk Alone. And what they're saying to the team is, listen, your fans, we love you, we support you, we're with you, and good, bad, or in between, when you're out on that field, you're not alone because your fans and your city is behind you. Well, in a lot of ways, that's so similar to what God says to us that we will never walk alone because God is with us, because God loves us so much that he sent his own son to die, that we might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled to God, that we would be adopted back into God's family and we would be saved. Church, we are a lot of things this year, but alone is not one of them. And that leads me to my closing thought. How do you get Christian hope? How do you get this hope that is certain and strong and never failing? The cornerstone of that hope is Jesus Christ. And this Christmas, once again, we celebrate a baby that was born in a manger, but he wasn't just a baby. He was a king and he was God himself coming to earth to secure our salvation. Everything our lives and our hopes centers around is the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is our hope for salvation. He is our hope for forgiveness. He is our hope for resurrection and for restoration and reconciliation with God. And here's the other thing, church. Do you want proof that God loves you? Jesus is our evidence. Romans 8.32 says it this way. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And what that's saying is, is if God loves us so much that he gave us the gift of Jesus, our hope can be certain and secure that he is also going to bless us and be with us and be faithful to his promises because he could not love us any more than he already has by giving us Jesus Christ. Church, our hope is not weak, it is not failing, and it is not dependent on our circumstances. Our hope is secure in the gospel, in God's sovereignty, and in the fact that God will never, ever leave us. He is with us forever. So my prayer for you would be, um, 
this week that you would set your minds on your hope in Christ. That no matter what you're facing, what this year has brought, what your fears are for next year, that we would know for certain that our hope cannot be touched because our hope is rooted in the gift of Jesus Christ. And let us celebrate that this Christmas. Um, I love you guys. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this season. I thank you for the reminder that our hope in Christ is something that is strong. It is an anchor. It is something that never fails us. And it's something that cannot be taken away. And in a year where so many things feel like they're being taken away from us, let us um, hold fast to our hope in you. You are faithful, you are good. Would you give us a joy and a peace and a love for others that would shine brightly in this season because it is rooted to a hope that is never failing. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Love you, Harvest.